should be set this morning. Uh, before we begin this morning, I just want to uh, make sure we pray for some things. Um, first of all, Frank Yonke, who's one of the pastors of Kishwaukee Bible Church, is um, in the Philippines right now, uh, along with uh, Daryl Worley, who's a pastor of Grace Church of Page, along with Clark Richardson, who's a pastor at Grace Church of the Valley, along with... Um, couple other people, so it's really it's a, it's a neat effort of uh, a lot of groups together going to the Philippines, some churches we've had relationships with there for in the past for a, a while, and um, they are starting tomorrow what they're calling an exposition workshop, primarily for Philippian, Philippian, Filipino pastors, and uh, I think they anticipate, I'm guessing maybe 80 pastors. Um, we have given them Bibles, they're like uh, study Bibles to give to uh, the pastors who are there. It's really a workshop modeled after a workshop that takes place in a college church at Wheaton that I like to go to every year. Don't get to all the time, but uh, where the pastor has been given passages beforehand and they're told to come and share how you would preach that in small sessions. And so they have an opportunity to do how they'd open the text and how they talk about that. There's some opportunities there to teach about teaching and exposition. It's going to be a great time, but um, that's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, maybe Thursday, August 11th through the 14th, so we'll pray for them. Also, the Nelsons are part of our body. They have taken a trip to Ireland uh, and just seeking to minister. I was hoping to receive an email from them this week to update you on what's taking place, but we'll pray in ignorance, and God knows what's taking place. A little bit like Doug Loner when he was in China. We don't know what's taking place, but um, we can do that. Also, I would like to pray... Uh, for China, just the uh, Olympics have started. And Doug, I was talking to you this week. You said that President Bush, and I got an email about this too, President Bush was visited by Voice of the Martyrs representatives. And uh, they were given the address, I think, of three underground churches, um, which could basically just says, hey, you guys want to be martyrs? Yeah, sign us up. Get, the, get our address to uh, President Bush. And so um, he did, I saw on the Internet yesterday, at least visit a, a, uh, one of the approved churches, at least bringing some semblance to that. Who knows exactly what's going to come out about that. Very aware he is then of the persecution taking place in China. So we need to pray for China. We have some visiting missionaries from England. right? Is that right? Why don't you stand and introduce yourself and just tell us where you work. I want to pray missions-wise and we'll just pray for you before we start our message. Okay. Any particular one prayer request at all? Good. Okay, we can do that. Pray for that. Because we need to have our mind focused uh, on the world. I want to pray for, for those things. Now pray for myself as service begins. So let's pray. Lord, I pray more and more that you would set our hearts towards the loss of this world. And uh, Lord, how easy it is to think about nations far away, and we will. <clears throat> and yet also we pray for our neighbors who are a great mission field for us. And so I pray... Um, God, that you would, would help us, God, to be bold with the gospel, to share it with neighbors and friends and family. Um, even as I have been encouraged in recent weeks of even hearing that and seeing that among the body, um, even among my extended family in California. And just would pray and long that the, the gospel would go out. We pray, first of all, for uh, the Philippines starting this week um, on, on Monday, just with... Um, Frank Yonke and um, all the men there um, would, would pray for the pastors that might be, feel better equipped to just take your word, open it up, 
and uh, be able to proclaim it and teach it because your word is the guidance to the church and it's a guidance to your people. And so we would pray that the pastors would come, would see that it's, it's not an insurmountable task, um, but they might be encouraged. Um, well, I pray that you would help there. I pray that you'd guide and strengthen. I, I pray also for the Nelsons as they're in Ireland. Um, in some sense, we don't know. They, they weren't quite sure in many ways what exactly they'd be doing. They really just want to go over there and be helped to some missionaries and maybe uh, some youth camps, maybe door-to-door flyers, who knows. And yet I pray that you'd help them, strengthen them, sustain them. Uh, I know Ireland's a, a hard place. We have a, a very close friend um, who is ministering there and uh, just is going door-to-door three days a week with the gospel to barrenness. And I pray you would uh, support the Nelsons there. And I pray that you would support the Coils, who we know there as well. Um, Lord, we also pray for China as the world is focused there in Beijing these next two weeks. Um, I would pray that as um, the media is there and is descended upon it, they might see what the true state of things are in China and how many are in poverty. Though much are in the middle class, the vast majority of people there live in, in great poverty. And as much as they try to on a show for the world, I pray that the reality would be seen there. I pray for the church. Difficult to know how to pray because as the persecution has come, the church has only grown stronger and stronger and stronger. As Tertullian said, the blood is seed. The blood of the martyrs is seed of the church. And so we have seen that progress even apart from us, apart from Western missionaries there. Your church has flourished. And so I pray primarily for your church and for your people. Um, would pray just even for the interaction that President Bush had and is having and is making a call for human rights. Uh, would pray for people over there. Doug Loner's contacts. I, I think of this woman named Rainbow who he's emailed with several times. Just shows authentic faith and trust in you. Would pray you'd strengthen her. And uh, even as he was at um, a man's home, I pray that you'd strengthen her. I pray also for a man named Howe who we had in our home over Thanksgiving holiday recently um, a couple years ago. We gave him a Chinese-English Bible and ultimate questions and he emailed us this week to say that he's read the whole Bible carefully and he's read ultimate questions and found it useful. I pray, Lord, that you would use those little things, little contacts, perhaps with athletes who make bold their faith, perhaps with visitors who will go in under the guise of visiting the Olympics, actually who want to help uh, with the church. I pray you'd strengthen China. I pray also for these folks from England who are ministering to the Muslims in England. What a worthy ministry that is. And uh, Lord, we pray that you'd help them and uh, strengthen them. Pray you'd raise support for them. They'll go back to a, to a hard field. Um, we also even pray for those in our midst who want to go. I know Dirk Reed has a great passion to, to go. I pray you'd help strengthen us and guide us as a church in those endeavors. We pray for Nepal. Uh, I think as we have, many of us support children over there, help them. Uh, would pray that they would grow in the discipline and instruction of the Lord to be leaders in the country. God, to make an impact there for Christ. I thank you for, in recent years, how the church has continued to grow. would pray that you would continue your blessing. And, and ultimately, Lord, we just long to have take place what our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. May your kingdom come and may your will be done. And so we long for your name to be known, um, not only in Rockford, but also all around the world. And I pray even now that you would help me to make the word known to us. Um, I am clinging this morning to the promise of, of Scripture that says my grace is sufficient for you, uh, for weakness, um, for 
power is perfected in weakness. Because in weakness, when we need to trust in you completely, and uh, I do that this morning, so I pray that you'd help us. We open your word to be strengthened, be convicted, be most of all overjoyed at how great a God you are. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 104. Psalm 104 is our text. We're continuing this morning what we began last week. Last week I I preached a message entitled The The Greatness of God in the Stars. And um, I think it's a great message. The premise of that is um, Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens are telling of the glory of God. And uh, we looked at the vastness of the universe, which is really unbelievable. We looked at the number of stars that God has set in place and named, and none of them is missing. It's really incalculable. And we looked at the power of God to create the universe with seemingly no effort at all, with His fingers and with His voice. And we see how it's unfathomable. And my aim last week was to blow you away with the awesomeness of God. My aim was to convince you just how great God is and how we cannot even comprehend Him. I ended then last week with a uh, a quote of Psalm 103, verse 11, As high as the heavens are above the earth, and we saw last week how high they are, so great is His loving kindness towards those who fear Him. And just we can't comprehend the greatness of the universe, so also we can't comprehend God's grace. We can't understand His love for us. Ultimately, His love was put on display for us the cross of Christ. And it's, um, it's an amazing love that He poured forth for us to reconcile us to ourselves. After I finished preaching, we had an extended time of worship um, in song. Because how can, how can you respond any other way than listening to the greatness of God and merely then responding and singing praise to Him? Everything within us ought to bubble over in praise to our great Savior. And this week, my, my, my aim is the same. Uh, I'm going to continue another message this morning in the same spirit. But rather look at the heavens, which are far, far away from us, I'm going to focus our attention this morning upon the earth. Because we don't have to look way out and beyond us to figure out how great God is. And my message this morning might not be as spectacular as last week. It might not um, blow you away as much as last week because these are our everyday things. But you pile all of them on each other and you ought to say, wow, God is really great upon the earth. And it ought to then stir your hearts to sing His praise as we're going to do after my message this morning. I'm not sure you realize this or not, but just as the heavens are filled with the wonder and power and majesty of God, so also is this planet upon which we live. Maybe you remember what the scene when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lofty and exalted, his train of his robe filling the temple. There were six seraphim flying around the throne of God. You remember what they're saying? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. What do you say next? The whole Earth is full of His glory. Think about what that means. These, these creatures are in heaven worshiping before the throne of God and they're singing not about heaven. They're singing about how holy God is and how all the earth is full of the glory of God. It's really what I want to do this morning. Just the heavens are telling of the glory of God. The earth is telling of the, the glory of God. I want us to look and consider the greatness of God by looking at the marvels of the earth that He's created us. And after my message this morning, we'll sing His praise. And to guide our thoughts, we're going to look at Psalm 104. It's a psalm all about God's care 
for those who live on the earth, both man and beast, how God has created an environment which we can live and move and have our being. It's also created a world in which we can thrive and grow. Listen, the reason why we can take a breath this morning, the reason why we can live this morning and move is because God has given us a body that can breathe, which is amazing in and of itself. He's given us a place where we can obtain the oxygen we can breathe. The wonders of creation are an expression of the greatness of God. Psalm 104. Psalmist says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord my God, You are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering Yourself with light as with a cloak. Stretching out the heaven like a tent curtain, He lays the beams of His upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot. He walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes His winds His messengers, flaming fire His ministers. He established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever and ever. You covered it with a deep as with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains at your rebuke. They fled at the sound of your thunder. They hurried away and the mountains rose and the valleys sank down to the place which you established for them. You set a boundary that they might not pass over so that they will not return to cover the earth. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from His upper chambers. And the earth is satisfied with the fruit of His works. He causes the the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the labor of man so He may bring forth food from the earth and wine which makes a man's heart glad so he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains man's heart. The trees of the Lord drink their fill, the cedars of Lebanon which He planted, where the birds build their nests, and the stork whose home is the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats, and the cliffs are a refuge for the Shephanim. He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appointed darkness and it became night in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. O Lord, how many are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. There's a sea, great and broad, in which are swarms without number, animals both small and great. There the ships move along, and Leviathan, which you have formed, a sport in it. They all wait for you to give them their food in due season. You give to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, and they are satisfied with good. You hide your face, and they are dismayed. You take away their spirit, and they expire and return to the dust. And you send forth your Spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in His works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. 
Well, one of the first things you notice about this psalm is how it begins and how it ends. It begins and ends with praise. Verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Verse 35, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. If you paid close attention, you'd see that even throughout this psalm, there are scattered expressions of praise to the Lord. It's almost as if the, the psalmist is just thinking about these things and just, just launches off in praise. Verse 24, O Lord, how many are Your works! In wisdom You've made them all. The earth is full of Your possessions, or as some translations say, creatures. Verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Just offering up praise as he sees and surveys the glory of the Lord, the greatness of the Lord on the earth. His heart merely responds with praise to God. And so that's why it's appropriate for us at the end to sing praise to Him. Now one of the great reasons why it's appropriate to sing praise to the Lord is because of His greatness. Look at verse 1. It says there in the second half, O Lord my God, You are very great. That's the theme of my message this morning. It's the aim of my message. I want to show you how great God is. Right from the start, the psalmist speaks about the greatness of God, which then is described here in the first four verses. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. And you all awoke this morning, decided what kind of clothes you're going to put on. Being Sunday morning, you didn't put on your painting clothes. You put on something that would be nice. Maybe spend some time last night preparing some of your, your clothes. Ironing them, perhaps. But listen, however nicely you clothe yourself, you didn't clothe yourself as God clothed Himself. He is clothed with splendor and majesty. It speaks of His greatness. As a king is clothed with long flowing robes and diamond studded crowns, it speaks about the greatness of His position who He is. And as God is clothed with splendor and majesty, it gives us reason to reflect upon His own greatness. And verse 2 continues with the, the greatness of the Lord. Covering yourself with light as with a cloak. Now often when the Bible describes God and seeing Him, views Him as light. Just coming forth. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, He dwells in unapproachable light. Called in Hebrews 12:29, our God is a consuming fire. When Daniel saw the Lord, he, he said, I kept looking until the thrones were set up, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture, his clothes we put on, was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was of pure wool, and his throne was ablaze with flames, his wheels of burning fire, just light emanating from the throne. It's a picture often people got of God. Ezekiel saw the vision. He said, in the midst of the living beings, there was something that looked like burning coals of fire. Like torches darting back and forth among the living beings. The fire was bright and lightning was flashing from the fire. Just this, this, this light emanating is what Ezekiel saw. And John said, out of the throne came flashes of lightning and sounds and peal of thunder. Out from this throne, just light flashing forth. It makes sense then that God is here in Psalm 104, covering Himself with light as with a cloak. That's how God often appears. And whatever it means, when you strip away the metaphor, it all is pointing to the greatness of God. And you see further, in verse 2 through 4, He stretches out the heaven like a tent curtain. 
He lays the beams of His upper chambers in the waters. He makes the clouds His chariot and walks upon the wings of the wind. He makes the winds His messengers, flaming fires, ministers. And these, these verses here speak, speak about the heavens and the clouds and the winds, how they are all God's servants. Now it's difficult to understand verses 2 through 4. Because in some sense it's metaphor, in some sense it's picture. I mean, it talks about God riding on the clouds, using the winds to carry His chariot along the heavenly countryside. God's so great, He merely extends the heavens like we might extend this curtain. He just extends it across. And we saw last week how big the heavens are. God's so great that the winds and the fire are tamed by Him to accomplish His purposes. When you think about all of that, how easy is it to say, as verse 1 says, O Lord my God, You are very great. And the whole rest of the psalm is focused upon the, the greatness of God, particularly even in how He has designed the earth to function as our provision of life. So the, it's the greatness of God, but it stems even into the goodness of God of how He has prepared for all of us. I think verse 24 is really the theme of the psalm. O Lord, how many are Your works and wisdom You've made them all. The earth is full of your possessions or creatures. The earth is just full of it. And let me tell you, my aim this morning is to focus on the wonders of earth and thereby direct us to the greatness of God. Here's my first point. You don't have an outline there. I didn't have an outline at press time, so I have an outline now. First point, earth. Earth. We're going to consider the greatness of the earth. Verse 5 says, He established the earth upon its foundation so that it will not totter forever. The idea here is that when God hung this planet in space, it was firm and it was secure. And I think particularly one of the things, the aspects about earth, is that it's created in such a way that it's not going to shake or vibrate. Except to California, it does a little bit. But it's going to stand firm. And God made it a perfect sphere, so as it goes around, it doesn't wobble. I mean, if you've taken a ball, like one of those balls you can buy at Walmart for 49 cents, you know those plastic things, and you throw it up like this, it goes whop, 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 whop. The earth could have done that if it wasn't a sphere, but God made a perfect sphere so that we go around. Otherwise, we'd be going like this every day, right? We'd jump up and down. At different points of gravity, would be more or less. But God has not done this. It is secure. It is set fixed. And even, I could have talked about this last week, I didn't, when God created a planet for us, He placed it exactly where it needed to go. In our solar system, it's not too close to the center of the Milky Way, lest all the radiation kill us. It's not too far away. It keeps us right there. And even right in the solar system, it is, it is fixed right where it is to, to sustain life. It's not too close to the sun where it would be too hot. It's not too far away from the sun where it would be too cold. When God placed the earth, the solar system, He gave it the right tilt. 23.5 degrees. If it, if it was tilted more, it would be way too hot in the summer and way too cold in the winter. If He did it less, it would be like scorching on the equator and freezing on the poles. wouldn't work for life. But He designed it so kind of things are, are cooling and heating. The seasons come. It helps life. When He placed the earth in the solar system, He gave us a moon so as to mostly affect the tides of the oceans, which sweeps away and cleans the ocean side. Otherwise, they would become a stagnant pool. You guys have smelled stagnant ponds before. That would happen in the ocean without a sun. But it keeps it stirring so it doesn't stagnate. 
When God placed the earth in the solar system, He gave us a magnetic field. You didn't realize this, but this, this protects us from harmful radiation that comes from the sun. If the sun comes with some harmful radiation, the magnetic field just kind of uh, protects us and insulates us from that. And in fact, you've heard of the northern lights before? You know, that's caused by the harmful radiation that God protects us with the radiation that kind of glows and flashes across the sky. And I think even about when God put us in this solar system, our sun is pretty tame. There are solar flares of other suns about like this that reach way out and could consume us. But our sun is a, is a tame sun, so they say. The marvels of the earth are many. If God had created the earth any differently, we would not be able to live on it. Such is the greatness of God. And verses 6 through 9 describe the way that God has given us land. Without land, we couldn't have life as we know it. But God made sure that we had land so we can dwell. He says in verse 6, You covered the deep with a garment. The waters were standing above the mountains. Talking about day one of creation. The third day of creation, rather. When God created the earth, initially it was covered with water. And the third day, He said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered in one place. Let the dry land appear. And we see the details of that. And God rebuked the waters. And they fled away. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away. I love how Job 38 verse 11 says it. When God spoke to the waters, almost like he, he drew a line in the sand, He says, this far you shall come and no farther. Like the waters said, okay. The mountains rose. And the valley sunk down. Exactly so we could live upon the earth. You sent a boundary for them, the water they might not pass over, so they might not return to cover the earth. That's what God did. God created a place where we might dwell, perfectly suited for life. Summed up well by the words in Isaiah 45, verse 18. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. He formed the earth to be inhabited. And I'm sure we could go on and on and on about all the different ways in which the earth is perfect. We could talk about the atmosphere. We could talk about the elements. I was even thinking about the elements. It's, it's interesting. They, they, go to, they go to Mars, try to find out things, and all they find is, is rock and stuff. And here on the earth, you know, we have, I think, almost every element of the periodic table here on earth. I think that's probably pretty unique. I don't think other planets have that. You know, the, the whole atmosphere to, to keep the area. I, I did, as I was studying this, talk about even the size of our planet. You know, is, is just the right size. I mean, much bigger would be Jupiter, and we fall flat like this with gravity. You know, and it talked even about uh, our, our planet isn't so small that the, the gaseous particles leave away. But our Earth is big enough to keep the atmosphere around us. It's really interesting. You go into all these things about the Earth, and God has made it. It is great. You even think about our basic need of life is water. They go to Mars. They look for water. Can they find water? Because they think if they have water, they have life. It's a big assumption there. But water is so important to us. And in fact, that's my second point this morning, is water. Verses 10 through 13. Water. And we all know how important water is to life. Without water, we would die. Our bodies, 65% water. We can live 40 days without eating. We can live three without drinking. 
And the reason why we can only live three days without drinking water is because so many of the functions in our body have to have water. I mean, water, first of all, helps to maintain our body temperature. When you're too hot, you perspire. It cools off your body. Water helps to carry away waste. I mean, we use water to clean our, our kitchens, our, our sinks, our clothes, just as we use it to, to clean other things outside of our bodies. So also water within us helps carry away the toxins in our, our bodies. The presence of water is needed for many of the body's metabolic processes to take place. Without water, many of our organs simply don't work. And, and maybe what's most pertinent to us this morning is concerning water is that it's because of its molecular structure, it's an excellent solvent. It can dissolve food and it can dissolve minerals and take it out of the body. It's interesting as I so I was studying to think about water, um, studying this week for my message. You know, you just type in body and water, and, and all I got was just all these things, website after website after website after website after website that said what? Drink more water. Drink more water. You ever heard that before? I've heard that before many, many times. Drink more water. Drink more water. you think we'd, we'd know that by now. Um, boy, what was it, maybe five years ago, Vaughn, I had a, a kidney stone. It's one of the most worst and awful experiences in all of my life. Uh, it took place Sunday evening. I remember where I was. I was looking over the computer and, and um, working, got a kidney stone. And, and then after that kidney stone, I was told, what? Drink more water. Drink more water. And you know what? I did pretty well for a while. And uh, gradually, you know, it's, 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 it's not done so well. Well, I got a kidney stone last night. And um, I went to the emergency room last night. In fact, and I, I kind of said something wasn't quite, wasn't quite right there. Um, a couple weeks earlier, I've been, drinking, I've been drinking a lot of lemonade, a lot of water over the last couple weeks, and um, we, were, we were on our way home. We went to Gordy and Ruthie's 50th wedding anniversary party. They had, they had one in the suburbs of people there that they knew. And we went there, and we're coming back, and we're right in DeKalb, and it hit. And I said, Yvonne, and we thought about going up to Rockford here. And my experience at Rockford Memorial Hospital, no, it was St. Anthony's. It was terrible. It was awful. And so I said, I want to do that again. So we went to Kishwaukee Hospital, and um, they treated pretty well. I'm on some drugs now. Maybe you can tell. <laughs> um, but they described it as really clear. I said, I'm a pastor of a church. I, I want to preach tomorrow. And uh, can you give me, because last time I was on some narcotics, just bad news. Can, can you help me out with this? And so they just gave me what they called Motrin on steroids is, is what it was. So I'm feeling pretty well. My back is feeling well. But last night, I drank so much water, I was up probably six times in the night. And I think I'll be up another six times tonight as I drink a lot of water. And um, So anyway, water dissolves minerals, which flush those minerals out of your system. If you don't drink enough water particularly for men age 30 to 50 particularly, then uh, they can store up in your kidneys and that's very painful, guys. You drink your water, all right? But we need, we need water. And one of the reasons things about water is just amazing. We go on and on and on today about water and how um, just the marvels of its, of its structure. When it freezes, it expands rather than like most, almost all, I'm not sure if there's another liquid like this. There probably is. But most liquids, when they freeze, condense, go smaller. But if if, I, if water did that, I should be on the bottom of ponds, 
they would never heat up. All of our water sources would be cold, couldn't support life very well, um, wouldn't work. It would be disastrous for our ecosystems of ponds and lakes. The specific heat of water is very high. What's specific heat? Well, here's what it takes a lot of energy to heat water a little bit. And, and thereby, when water evaporates and cools, it cools off a lot. So it means just a, a little bit of sweat helps cool you down a lot. That's what water is. The molecular structure of water is important to its function. Water, the uh, H2O, two hydrogens and an oxygen, shaped like a V. You know, you'd think that if oxygen here, to, you'd think of whoop, right around like an I, but it's shaped like a V, and uh, that helps because it's a polar molecule. What's that mean? That means it can dissolve things, can dissolve things that are electrically charged, like uh, salt, because oxygen has a negative electrical charge, the hydrogen side has a positive electrical charge, and helps solve things. It is almost called the universal solvent. It can solve, it can dissolve almost anything that's of polar charge, not oil, because it's not not polar. And the presence. It's interesting also here as I, as I studied the the presence of hydrogen atoms is. You know, you got O here, and you got two H's here, and then you got another wallet molecule here, and it forms some bonds, some loose bonds with uh, hydrogens, which makes the um, evaporation not so much. So it doesn't just evaporate. So it makes the liquid temperature really broad. It's much broader than other elements, other molecules. And, and you remove any single one of these qualities of water, and life as we know can't exist. Such is the greatness of the one who designed the earth to be this way. In His goodness, God created water to provide for us. He also made it plentiful and abundant. That's what verse 10 begins with. Here we go. He sends forth springs in the valleys. They flow between the mountains. They give drink to every beast of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. He waters the mountains from His upper chamber. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of His works. These verses are talking about fresh water. Though the earth is covered with water, much of it is salt water, which we can't use in its form. But when it evaporates and goes in the clouds upon which God is riding His chariot and it comes and it falls down on the, the land, it's stored in the mountains and the springs come out, we can use that water. And we do use that water and these verses really demonstrate the goodness of God in providing water to sustain His creatures. From domesticated beasts, beasts of the field, to the wild donkeys, those just out in the wilderness, to the birds in the sky, God has provided water for all of them. And verse 13 describes how, how He continues to re renew the supply of water. He waters the mountains from His upper chambers. The upper chambers there in verse 3 is probably talking about the clouds. He waters the mountains with clouds. And even how good it is that the mountains are way up high. You know, you think about these snow-capped mountains that when the, the rain came, the snow comes in the wintertime, these places that uh, don't have water very much. I think about uh, Israel was like that. Mount Hermon, you know, gets snow upon in the wintertime and then when it gets hot, the snow just kind of melts down and continues to provide a trickle of water all year long for them. So also in any other place where there's high mountains like that, it's a, it's a constant supply of water. I'm going to freeze this up as a reservoir, and as summer gets warm, here's going to provide. It's a small way in which God has provided and designed our earth to work. I love the way verse 13 ends. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of His works. 
satisfied. Emmy's taking a nice drink of lemonade on a, cold, on a hot day and just being, being refreshed. It's God's goodness to us and nowhere is God's goodness seen as much as when He feeds His creatures, which is my third point this morning. Went from earth to water to vegetation. Verses 14 to 16. Look at verse 14. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle. And vegetation He causes to grow for the labor of man so that He may put forth food from the earth. Now the process by which grass and vegetation grows is incredible. It's incredible to watch. Many of you know that a few weeks ago we were on vacation. We are gone for about two and a half weeks. And when we turned home, there were, there were really two things that really shocked me when I came home. The first was our entryway to our house. We've got a little, little sidewalk that walks up like that. Yvonne planted um, flowers by seed in March, I think, is when you did that. Put them in these little styrofoam cups and put some fluorescent lights over them and they're teeny, teeny, tiny seeds and they, they grow up and um, I'm not sure when you plant them outside, maybe June, early June, put them outside. When we left for California, <laughs> these guys were like, you know, this tall and like, oh, what are those? Oh, little things. And when we come back, some of these flowers were four feet tall and leaning over and not only tall, but beautiful. So if you come visit us, you can walk through our tunnel of flowers sometime. So come, stop by anytime. It's an open invitation. And all these came from a tiny, hard-shelled kernel in March. How did it happen? God caused those flowers to grow. That's what verse 14 says. He causes the grass to grow. Uh, I was also shocked when I looked at our garden. Now, I'm going to say, we've not put much effort into the garden. I've put that much effort into our garden this year. And uh, Vaughn's put a little bit. SR's put a little bit too. They've weeded a little bit. But what I got... I got home. Man, these things are just things are just <laughs> growing out of there. There's tomatoes, and uh, we even got some watermelon growing, and we've got some uh, cantaloupe, and we even had some broccoli. And I'm sure Juanita, your garden like far surpasses mine. Okay, so I'm describing God's greatness this much. You just go to the Milton place, and whoo, much, much, much bigger. Did you bring the cucumbers last week? Is that what it was? No, somebody brought the cucumbers. I forget who it was, but. Um, Huge. And how did they happen? God caused the vegetation to grow. And how the vegetation grows is amazing. Uh, when I was in college, I, I took a class. I forget the title, the name of the class. Some kind of. It was an animal physiology class, but the professor who, brought, who, who taught it was like a specialist in plants, and so it turned not to be animal physiology, but plant physiology. I don't quite sure how that happens, but when you're a professor of college, you teach what you want to teach, and he taught what he wanted to teach. But I remember, I don't remember anything from the class, but I remember one lecture that um, this man, his name was Mark Brodel, godless man atheist. But for, uh, for 70 minutes, he stood without notes right there on the chalkboard and wrote out the process of photosynthesis. He wrote out how water, H2O, plus carbon dioxide, CO2, with some light and some photons, produces C6H12O6, glucose, and oxygen. And he talked there about this whole process and how it works. And he said it's a two-step process. The first process takes light and takes water 
and it takes um, photons, and you know, it takes something else. What does it take? I gotta look at my notes here. I thought I could memorize this. And it takes oxygen. So it takes the oxygen. I'm uh, sorry. That's how well I know it. it. Takes light and water, and 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 takes that with the light and transforms ADP, adenosine diphosphate, into a higher energy state, adenosine triphosphate. Right? Am I right, Romans? <laughs> right? That ATP is like that's like the the core of what runs your body, right? So it takes that up to that state, all right? And then it passes off where it's something called the Calvin-Benson cycle, probably named after other people. And so you've got this ATP, and it brings in carbon dioxide, and then produces out taking the ox taking the uh, hydrogen from the oxygen, which it took off, the hydrogen from the water it took off because the oxygen left. The hydrogen then comes to form with the carbon and the oxygen and the hydrogen to get C6H12O6 to form glucose, which we can use as energy. That's what it does. And then, you know, I'm not even sure if the ATP then goes down to ADP and goes back to the other cycle or whether it... I'm not sure exactly how all that works, but somehow it transforms it into sugar. In our lecture, the professor went into 70 minutes of this detail, drawing cell membranes and chemical equations and the light and how it comes and the pigment and the light which it can absorb and the greens and all, all this kind of stuff. And uh, that's the only lecture I remember. And you think, why did I remember that lecture? I think two reasons. First of all, the guy spoke it from memory for 70 minutes, better than I could do for two after I'm trying to prepare here a little bit. Just incredible um, understanding this professor had. And, and as a general rule, if, if there's a professor, if somebody has something in memory wrote, especially his technical details, probably said, you know what, maybe that's significant to know because if this guy's got it memorized down cold like that, maybe I should know that. So I think I was impressed with that. But also I think I was impressed at the amazing complexity of life. All that, and, and even I've just kind of shown you a chemical equation, and, and how organic chemistry works, I haven't the slightest idea. How you just change one molecule, one place, and total, total transformation of properties. I have no idea how all that works. But I was fascinated by how this whole process works so as to create sugar, so as to give energy, so that we can live. And I remember being fascinated that my professor, who is an atheist, believed that it all evolved. Because you can't... It's all got to be in place at once. It doesn't, you, you can't just have one mechanism here going and kind of waiting for millions of years for the next mechanism to come on and then it comes on. It's all got to come to fruition. It's all got to pass. And, and, and just even the, the ways that... I mean, here's a subtle thing. The ways that the plants are taking in the carbon dioxide and then putting out the oxygen. And then what are we doing? We're <gasps> breathing in the oxygen, putting out the carbon dioxide. What are the plants doing? They're taking in the carbon dioxide and putting out the oxygen. And this, this symbiotic... Uh, sim- symbiotic relationship happens all over nature. And it happens just in one instance about growing. And it, I'm just telling you, it's far too complex to have evolved. And, and God, in His greatness, is a little bit like Genesis 1 when He says, and He made the stars also. When He says here in verse 14, He causes the grass to grow. That, that's one of those statements that you just, you know, books are written about photosynthesis and everything that's taking place there. You've got to see the greatness of God. Way too complex to have evolved. It points to God's greatness. It also points really to God's goodness here, the purpose of that, so that He may bring forth food from the earth. He brings forth vegetation for our good so that we can live. 
But it's even more than that. It's not just so we can live, so as we can enjoy life. Verse 15, And wine which makes the man's heart glad, so he may make his face glisten with oil and food which sustains the man's heart. See, when God gives us food, it's not merely just to sustain us like an automobile needs gas so it can go another 25 miles a gallon. Right? It's not, it's not that so it goes on so it can rust and die. It, he gives us gas so we can like enjoy life. Right? We put gas in the car and the car goes, Oh, that's wonderful. But that's what God does. He gives us wine which makes the heart glad. Certainly there are abuses to alcohol. But why are there abuses to alcohol? Because there's a genuine pleasure in the alcohol which gets run amok. But here God gives wine which makes the heart glad. Makes it joy. And and it can easily become addictive. That's why it might be a good thing to abstain from alcohol. But it is something that God has given us to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with wine. But see, see, God gives it to us to make us happy, not merely to sustain us. And even that next phrase there, so that his face may glisten with oil and food which sustains a man's heart. You think about food, you think there, food which sustains a man's body. But he's talking about food which sustains a man's heart. Food which sustains one's hope and, and joy. Right? When you go to a party, what's there? There's always food and drink. Always food and drink. Give us joy. Give us happiness. Fill it up. In fact, in Acts 20, 14, Acts 14, God gives, explains how He gives glad hearts to sons of men, whether believers or, or none. He says, Paul's preaching to those at, I think it's Iconium, it's Lister maybe. In the generations gone by, He permitted all the nations to go their own ways. These people were disobedient, and yet, even though they're disobedient in their own ways, He did not leave Himself without a witness. And he did good. And He gave you rains, from heaven and fruitful seasons, bringing up the plants, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. He's talking here to these pagan people who are worshiping he and Barnabas, this Zeus and Hermes, totally out of whack. He's saying, listen, God has been good to you. He gives you food. He gives you drink to, to make you happy, to make your days glad, to make them pass in happiness. So when, when God provides us with vegetation, it, it's more than just sustaining us, which is an unbelievable miracle in itself, but it's an expression of God's goodness even also that helps us to enjoy things. How many of you enjoy food? Yep. It's God's goodness, His greatness. Alright. We've seen earth, <clears throat> water, vegetation. Let's look at habitation. <clears throat> and again, I hope that one of the things you see through here is just the design of God on the earth that extols His greatness. Habitation. The trees of the Lord drink their fill. The cedars of Lebanon which He planted where the birds build their nests and the stork whose home is the fir trees. The goats are mentioned then in verse 18 after the birds. said, Verse 17, goats here in 18. The high mountains are for the wild goats. And then the whatever these are, the Shephanim is what the New American Standard says. It's because there's no idea that's what the Hebrew word is, the Shephanim. Some of your translations say rock badgers, some of yours say conies. Some kind of creature that's up in the mountains, alright? The cliffs are a refuge for them. Think about trees. Trees provide many benefits for us. They break the wind. Trees um, give us shade to keep us cool. They provide us material for pulpits. 
and for furniture, for pulp, for, for paper. They help prevent erosion. They provide decorations around our homes. Leaves, you can plant them, they're pretty. Some of them provide food for us to enjoy. Fruit, I enjoy an apple. Right? Most of you should. Orange, you enjoy orange. You enjoy, you're licking your chops there, Nathan. Huh? But listen, but beyond all these things, God designed the trees to be habitation for the birds. That's what He says. Where the birds build their nests, the stork is home. Mountains, mentioned in verse 18. They provide many benefits. They're, they're beautiful to behold. As I talked before, they, they keep the snow up there so that we can water all year long as the snow melts during the summertime. They provide great entertainment, skiing and climbing. Provide great national parks for us, right? Because a high mountainous region is hard to build on. But beyond all these things, God has designed these mountains that they are homes for animals. Whether for the goats that can negotiate the high mountain crags or the Shephanim, whoever these are, to stay as a refuge in the cliffs. But it's not merely the places that God provides for habitation. He also provides the conditions surrounding our habitation. He just doesn't say, oh, there's a tree, bird, go at it. There's a mountain, go at it. He provides some specifics about our environment. Look at verse 19. He says, He made the moon for the seasons. The sun knows the place of its setting. You appoint darkness and it becomes night in which all the beasts of the forest prowl about. The young lions roar after their prey and seek their food from God. When the sun rises, they withdraw and lie down in their dens. Man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. When God made the, the lights, one ruled the day and one ruled the night um, for signs and seasons and days and years. And certainly we, we, we measure our days by the sun. We measure our months by the moon, which then lead on to seasons. And, but there's more than that. God creates the day for the sun. It's time for man to do his work. It's time for man to rule, verse 23. And during the night... After the sun sets, it's time for the beasts. They can come out and do their, do their things. Um, during vacation, we had an opportunity. Um, a couple nights, Ivana, I remember, we, we, we were staying in this rustic camp kind of place for a couple days side trip a couple weeks ago. And, and um, we had a whole bunch of activity here. And then we had to walk down this hill in the utter darkness. And uh, then we had this little cabin. And we put our smallest kids to bed in this little cabin. And... A couple nights we sat out there just in the pitch dark waiting for our kids to fall asleep so we could go back and join the party up in the, the main session. And I remember listening over here. What we heard? Crack, creak. Heard the animals kind of just walking about because it was nighttime. It's time for the animals to get out and do the deals. Um, it is amazing. You, you have seen roadkill along the side of the road? These possums? How many possums do you see in the daytime? I see a lot more on the road dead than I do, and the probably is because they're out at night, and um, you know we're we should be at home because our labor is done. But we're out riding our cars, and bam, we hit them, and then they're on the road. How many raccoons do you see in the day? Where do they stay? Where do they stay? In trees beside the road, with the thick grass. Have you seen them? You hunted them down, Nathan? I don't know where they are, but but it's in the night that they come out. That's how God has made it. And then the day comes again, rises, it's time for man to do his work. This is how God has provided our habitation. Not only the places, but also the whole ecosystem and how it works. 
It's one small instance in which God creates the conditions for His creation to flourish. I mean, you come up with so many more, right? He gives the dew on the grass for the, for the worms to come out and feed every morning until they go back in. But then the early bird gets the worm. He gives the, he gives the night for the bats. He, gives the, he, he makes caves so as the bats could dwell inside the caves. He provides milkweed for monarchs so that monarch caterpillars can turn into butterflies and then come back again. He provides the sea for the sea creatures, which is what the next verses talk about. Look at verse 25. There's a sea, great and broad, which are swarms without number. Animals, both great and small. He gives them the sea. He says, animals, here's your habitation. You can, you can live in the sea. If there was no sea, where would the whales be? They wouldn't. He provides the sea for transportation for us. You're talking about the boats going about. The ships move along. You know, perhaps even God made the sea so that we could transport goods cheaply. And then Leviathan, whoever this is, some beast, maybe some dinosaur here, you've formed a sport in it. Right? Just some kind of big animal that sports in the sea. And we can look at all this. And you put it all together, and I'm trying, though I, I you know what? I was, a, I was a physics major, so I can understand the physics and the stars. I'm struggling with the biology. If I was a biology major, maybe I'd do better at some of this stuff. But I just know it all works together. It's all the sovereign design of God. And I can say, as verse 24, O Lord, how many are your works. In wisdom you've made them all. The earth is full of your creatures, your possessions. It's just full of everything. <clears throat> Such is the greatness of God. Earth, water, vegetation, Habitation, and finally this morning, dependence. Dependence. They all wait for you. You know, God has not just set us in motion as the deist thought. They are waiting for God. Every animal waits for God to provide for them. They wait for you to give them their food in due season. They're dependent upon the Lord. You give it to them, they gather it up. You open your hand, they are satisfied with good. But, you hide your face and they're dismayed. You take away their spirit, they expire and return to the dust. You send forth your spirit, they are created. And you renew the face of the ground. You know, these verses speak about the sovereignty of God over creation. He just reigns and rules today. When the beasts of the forest look for their food, who is it who gives it to them? It's God. I don't know. He, he causes the acorn to drop so that the squirrel can come along and get it so he can save it for the wintertime. I don't know how he does it, but he does. And then God opens his hand, and it's almost as if they are, they're feeding from his hand. I went to the Boone County Fair last Thursday night. There was a... I forget, a lingerie or something like that. I don't even know. Is that the name of the thing? It's kind of a petting zoo. I don't know what the word that is, but something like that. And so, you know, there's these, these things that you can purchase and buy, and you, you hold your hands out right there, and what happens? These, these animals are looking through here like this. We're feeding them. That's how God feeds the animals. He puts out his hand. He says, here, take it, take it, take it, take it. But as sovereign as God is to provide, sovereign is also, God is also sovereign to withhold. 
Should God withhold their blessing, they'd be in distress, dismayed. Hide your face. That is, you know, make His face cause upon us, shine upon us. That's His blessing. To hide your face, that's His curse. And here it's talking about God just removing Himself somewhat from the animals. And if He does, and if God takes away their spirit, they die. It is is very interesting here as I was studying and and looking and reading about um, biology and, and life. Scientists can't define life. They know when it's there and they know when it's not there, but a dead carcass, you, you, can't, you, you can't get it going again. All the parts are there, everything's there, but in terms of functioning it to get that spirit in there, to give a life, it just it, it doesn't work. And, and uh, scientists really tried to struggle with how do, you, how, do you, how do you define life? We know what it is intrinsically, but what is it that, that causes it? And what is it that takes it away? Because everything's there. Why doesn't it work in a carcass? And, and how is it that a, a young animal then has life? It's the greatness of God. That God takes a spirit away from an animal and it dies. And God puts, so even what it seems to say here, taking a spirit away from an animal, shouldn't... Um, Shouldn't blow your theology away. It blows your theology away if you've got a, a narrow mind of what spirit is. Spirit is just a life force in an animal. It, it gives a life there and takes it away another place. We're totally dependent upon the Lord. And don't think it's just the animals. You and I are totally dependent upon the Lord every day. It says in Job 34. If God should determine to do so, if He would take away His Spirit from us, we would become like dust. Exactly what this verse says here about the animals. And He can take it away any moment He wants. And He gives it graciously and freely. We are dependent upon Him in every single way. We need food. We need air. We need God to sustain the planet I mean, we can do everything we can to stop global warming if it's true. We can do everything we can to protect our environment, and we should. But ultimately, you know what? It's God who's going to sustain us by His goodness and His greatness. That's the only way it happens. You know, even as I bring my message here to a close, there's no greater way that we're dependent upon the Lord than with respect to our sin. As we are fully dependent upon the Lord to give us food, so also are we fully dependent upon the Lord to take away our sin. I don't think it's an accident in the Lord's Prayer. It says this, Give us this day our daily bread, right? our greatest physical need. He follows that up. You remember the next request? And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. I don't think that connection was random at all. I think he's talking about our greatest physical need is sustenance today. And our greatest spiritual need is forgiveness today. And let me just ask you this. Having seen the greatness of God and providing everything physically to live, would you think that the Lord would not provide for us everything eternally to live? I mean, it doesn't make sense just to make everything just for this life and then zap away. No, He has provided for us in His Son. His divine power, says in 2 Peter 1.3, has granted to us 
His divine power given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. It's through the true knowledge of Christ that everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness comes. He feeds us, Jesus. He merely calls us to believe in Him. As we believe in Him, this psalm is a, is a call to praise the Lord. Look at verse 31. Let the glory of the Lord endure forever. Let the Lord be glad in His works. He looks at the earth and it trembles. He touches the mountains and they smoke. It's the sovereignty of God. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Let my meditation be pleasing to Him. As for me, I shall be glad in the Lord. And then here it is, bringing up this issue with sin. Let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. And we can praise the Lord this morning only because we've been forgiven of sin. And God has given us desires so that we wouldn't just sin rampant in the world. Because those who just continue on and sin rampant in the world, as the psalmist says, let them depart from God. Let them be consumed with the earth. Let the wicked be no more, but let the godly stay on. Let the godly praise the Lord. And we of all people, if you believe in Christ today, can especially praise Him, knowing that in Him our, our spiritual needs are all, for, all, all satisfied. Sins are forgiven. The God, Christ, the mediator between God and man, we can worship the Lord through Jesus Christ, which we will do in a moment after we pray. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that You would use my weak and feeble words to somehow broad our minds and our meditation to think much upon Your greatness this morning all the things that work together to have life on the earth, it's, it's just as marvelous. We could spend another week perhaps even looking at the, even beyond what we can see, the molecular level as we did today. Thinking about photosynthesis, thinking about the water that there is. And you have brought your glory even down to microscopic flowers, glories in the ocean's floor where we've never been, we've never seen, and yet you've done it for your glory. I thank you for the way that you have created the earth sustained us with your life, I pray that we might see that just as you are the one who sustains us now, physically you are the one, the only one who will sustain us spiritually. I pray you'd give us fresh hearts and desires really now as we sing extended, have an extended time of worship. May it be rich because of um, all that you've done for us, because of all that you've provided for us, because of your greatness. So help us in these moments to sing praise to you. In Christ's name, amen.